International travel can be intimidating, but it provides invaluable learning opportunities. In this episode, we'll examine a course in which students travel with faculty members to study the science of fermentation in a global city. Thanks for joining us for Tea for Teaching, an informal discussion of innovative and effective practices in teaching and learning. This podcast series is hosted by John Keane, an economist, and Rebecca Mushter, a graphic designer. Together, we run the Center for Excellence in Learning and Teaching at the State University of New York at Oswego. Today, our guests are Jeffrey Snyder and Casey Raymond, associate professors in the chemistry department at the State University of New York at Oswego. Welcome, Jeff, and welcome back, Casey. Thank you. Thank you. Today, our teas are? I've got no tea. They wouldn't let me bring in anything more stronger than that. (laughs) (laughs) I've got Earl Grey. And I'm drinking ginger peach green tea. I have my standard issue English afternoon. It is afternoon. We invited you here to talk about your course, Fermentation Science in a Global Society. Can you tell us a little bit about the course and how you got away with it and how it started? Well, (laughs) so back in 2005, I think, I was a member of the International Education Advisory Board, and we had a big board meeting, and they were talking about a way to get more quarter courses and get students interested. And I was being kind of a Smart ass at the time. And I said, You? Oh. <laughs> right? At the time. <laughs> right? And I said, Oh, I could teach a course on Scotch. And the dean at the time, I won't name any names in case she's listening, but she said, Oh, that'd be great because then I could help you guys. I could teach about some of the history. And everybody at the table was just like, ah, 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 And nobody took it seriously. And I was kind of mad that nobody took it seriously. And so then I went over to Casey. And I said, you know, I just had this talk, and I thought we could do a thing on scotch. And Casey says, well, I don't really know too much about scotch, but I bet we could do something on Belgian beer. And being (laughs) easy as I am, I said, oh, okay. (laughs) And so we proposed the course, and, you know, they said okay. And so we did. They gave us money to go explore, and so we ended up taking a little exploratory trip to Belgium in the middle of January. In 2006. 2006. Sounds really awful. You know, it it wasn't actually that bad. (laughs) (laughs) I think she was being sarcastic. (laughs) So it was really an opportunity to spin a hobby. I'd been homebrewing about eight years at that point and had started getting Jeff interested in homebrewing to spin the hobby into a class. And so we did that exploration trip in January to work out a few details. And then that May took 14 students to Belgium for, I guess it worked out, nine days at that point in May. And how many times have you done this? Since 2006, we've only only not, not done three not years. done three years, I think, just because we couldn't get enough students. It was really strange. For whatever reason, there was one point, I hate to say it, but I think it was around the time when terrorism was kind of a big thing. And Parents were a little reluctant to send their kids, and so we did see a dip then. But then, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I guess everything's okay. We've only never done it three times, but we've tried Yep, every year since. And I think in one case, we were 
proposing to go back to the Czech Republic. We had done one trip there. And I think that wasn't just maybe not as a high interest location for some students as others. But we've done Belgium. We've done Scotland, which is where we're going back to this year. We've done a trip to Munich, Germany. And we've done a trip to Amsterdam and surrounding areas in the Netherlands. So SUNY Oswego has a number of quarter courses, which you mentioned that this is one of. Why does this particular format work so well for a class like this? So the format is, it's a seven weeks of instruction on campus and then travel over spring break, or in the case of the second half of spring semester, travel in May after graduation. And it really gives the students a chance to have a study abroad experience without committing to a whole semester. And in some majors, it's hard to commit a semester without falling a whole year behind. And there's also students that are hesitant to go that far for a whole semester. And we have always said that, yeah, we're interested in this. We know students are interested. And it's more about giving those students the opportunity to experience something abroad than the actual content that we're covering. And we've always taken quite a few students, and a lot of them have never been out of the country before. And a lot of them have never been outside of New York State before. And so it's a good opportunity for them because it really is a different clientele between the quarter course students and the full semester students. It's the kids that haven't traveled before. They're a little afraid. They don't know if it's for them. Oh, I don't know if I want to learn a language. Do I have to learn a language? And so it just gives them an opportunity. But then we've had kids after that, we've kind of given them the travel bug and they just go off and travel and I know one student in particular now, she's actually living in France. That's been my experience, too, teaching the core classes with travel. I think that's who those classes are really designed for. What have you found the balance of course content is in terms of helping students learn to travel, the subject matter you're covering, and then also the country you're traveling to because you've gone to different places? In our course, we try to have science just about every course period. You've got to teach them about money. You gotta teach them about what they're gonna expect. You gotta teach them what not to do, because that's always important. And if it's a place where English is not the native language, then we gotta teach them a little bit of language as well. And if you take them to some place like Scotland, where English is the native language, you still have to teach them a little bit as well, because you can't understand a word they say. Can you talk a little bit about the science that you cover? So one of the things that we try to focus on is how broad fermentation is and how long we've been doing it. And it was only relatively recently that we really understood what was happening in fermentation and making bread and making beer and making wine and making cheese. Casey says we, he means we as a society. Not you, you're not making cheese in your basement? (laughs) Not for centuries. (laughs) Not right now. Not right now. I have. And we have made cheese. And that's one of the things as well that we do with students in terms of getting them a sense of the science outside the classroom. We usually do a demonstration day where in the past we've had a couple people maybe brewing beer. We've done a session where we've actually gone through the cheese making process so they can kind of see how that works. The very first time we did it, it was an absolute disaster. It's terrible. But we've learned. You're going to tell us about that then, right? The simple fact of the matter is we squeezed too much of the liquid out of it, and it became a hard rock. <laughs> but I tell you what, we took that cheese to Belgium with us, and we did a day trip to Amsterdam, and we all sat down. There was construction outside of Central at the time, but we sat down outside the little barrier, and everybody tried that cheese down. 
<laughs> it was bad. <laughs> but we've learned. It really is to give them a sense of appreciation of the science behind it all, not to make them experts, so that when we're visiting breweries or cheese production or distilleries, they have a sense of the science behind it. We're not trying to make them experts in it. And so that's really the balance. And we've had everywhere from first-year students to graduating seniors and art, English, history majors, chemistry, biochemistry. So we just kind of have to take each class as a group and figure out what the balance is. Do you tend to have many science students as part of your student body? We have, but that also fluctuates. There'll be some years when a chemistry major says, oh, hey, so-and-so, do you want to take this course? I'm thinking it. And then all of a sudden, you've got a mass of chemistry majors or science majors taking the course. Other times, you get maybe one or two. So it's varied. How many hours does the class meet if it's a quarter course? Most of the quarter courses on our campus meet one hour a week and then have the rest of the content delivered when they're abroad. Our course, we meet two hours a week just to be sure we get the science covered as well as the travel, the location information covered. And so we meet two hours a week on campus, and then we go abroad for, in general, eight to 10 days. You hinted a little bit at some of the kinds of places that you visit when you travel. Can you talk a little bit more about what your in-country experience is like? It is pretty varied, and it certainly depends a little bit on where we go. Besides visiting things specific to fermentation, we try and also visit things that are historical or cultural. Many times, but not always, we will be in a couple different destinations, cities, instead of just staying in one location the whole time. And all of the transportation that we do, we try to do on local buses and trains. We very rarely have a charter service. Part of the reasoning for that is, one, it's easy, and two, it gets the students a little more experience of what Europe's like. And it also keeps the cost down. Yep. How do you prepare students for the trip in terms of preparing them for the culture and the experiences in advance? I think part of it is getting them a few common phrases, if it's a foreign language, right. getting them a sense of what the customs are, but likewise, letting them know that it's not that different. Sometimes it's a case of, I need to pack absolutely everything. Right. They think that we're going to a third world country, and so we have to remind them, you know... Belgium is a first world country. The Netherlands is a first world country. You can buy toothpaste. It's okay. You don't have to pack it. Or if you forget it, it's not the end of the world. And sometimes it's a fun experience to have to go, okay, well, what am I trying to find? Of course, if a student gets sick and they have to go to a pharmacy, that's also an interesting time. Which, Which we've had have occur. Inaugural experience we had. Young lady terribly sick, and she went to a pharmacy. She got some cough medicine, and we said, that's great. And Bill Casey read the bottle and it said it was loaded with codeine. <laughs> and so she was taking it easy after we said, hey, don't chug that. <laughs> the benefit of having a scientist with you on a trip. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Partly. But I also know in many European countries, the pharmacists have a lot more leeway. You still have to talk to them to get ibuprofen or aspirin, but they also have the ability to sell you hydrocodone cough syrup if that's what they think you need. So things like that in terms of preparing students. You know how to deal with money, right? That's always the hard part. We've had kids lose their debit card. We've had kids bring traveler's checks. 
And over the years, we've built up a list of no's. And we just tell them, bring your debit card. That's all you need. Make sure, though, that it's current. Because the one kid was not current, and that's why his card was eaten by the machine. And so then, of course, that was on a weekend, and so we had to float him a, a little cash. I don't remember if it was me or Casey, but one of us floated him some cash. So we also have to be a bank yeah. while we're <laughs> over there. My son went on that first trip with us, and everybody started calling me the International Bank of Dad. What were some of the best experiences you had during the travel component? Personally, I love traveling, so I think all of the experiences are good. Kid will say something funny or whatever, and everybody has a good time because even the kid who said it realizes, yeah, I guess that doesn't make sense, does it? I think it's just fun being with the kids. There have been some probably not so great times, but... Only a couple. But only a couple. Only a couple of situations while we've traveled that have been, let's say, taxing and not ideal. Like? I can think of (laughs) One in particular. (laughs) Basically, students thinking they knew what they were doing and deciding they were going to go off on their own and got themselves stuck in a different city overnight. Oops. (laughs) Because they basically decided to do things on their own without consulting with anybody that actually knew what was going on. And it happened to be a day that was a holiday in Europe. And they just left us a note. And finally, somebody came and knocked on my door late and said, uh... So-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so are nowhere to be found. I said, oh boy. But they left us this note. I said, oh, what does the note say? And it said, went off to discover Mother Europe. And they ended up not returning till the next morning. But you brought most of them back to as we go. We've never <laughs> lost a student. <laughs> we've wanted to. Actively <laughs> tried. But we've never lost a student. We've never had to send anybody home early. No. Although certainly. That incident was close. That was close. And we probably wanted to. But honestly, and hopefully no future students are listening. Honestly, we didn't want to deal with the hassle. It's too much work, right? It's a lot of work. Yeah. It's a case, though, that by and large, it's gone really well. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say overall, we've done well. I think the students always give us glowing reports back as well. They have a great time. They they learn a lot. I think sometimes they don't realize it until after they've come back that they've actually learned a lot. We make them keep a journal. We have six, seven, eight specific assignments we want them to write about, but we really stress use it as a log so that you can look back on it and remember. And that's, I think, where they really start to realize how much they've learned if they take it serious and write everything. In terms of losing students and trying to lose students, one of the challenges we sometimes have is getting the students to go off on their own. They want to stay right with us all the time. And part of their experience, they need to, in small groups, not alone, but small groups, go do your own thing. Yeah, some of them like to be glued you at the hip. And it's because, as I said before, not everybody has traveled. They're afraid. It's a new place. The language might be different. They just don't know. And you really see a difference between whether or not you're taking a freshman versus whether or not you're taking a senior. What have been some of the challenges and opportunities of co-developing and co-teaching this class? One of the situations we encountered as we developed this and even the very, very first year we did it, there were people on campus that were incredibly uncomfortable of us teaching this class. They were very concerned that we were teaching a class all about drinking. And that's not the case at all. And 
Josh in yeah, international this is, this ed. This is not a how-to course no. in how to drink. And we've heard it several times that in many respects, because it's a course that involves alcohol and it's all about appreciating alcohol and understanding it, we have less problems with drunkenness than some of the other study abroad classes that don't really address it. But that very first year or two that we did teach the class, there was a lot of skepticism and concern by several people on campus about what we were actually doing. Well, and even if somebody would mention the fact, oh, you teach the beer course, <laughs> right? And they'd kind of give you this kind of snide look, like, oh, you're a joke kind of thing. Say what you will, but, but we know what we do, and we do it well, and kids get a understanding of fermentation and all the processes that go into it, and, and an appreciation. And it is applied chemistry. It is. It is. Applied chemistry, applied biology. biology. It's applied science. I mean, one of the things that people have to keep perspective of is that alcohol is a multi-billion dollar industry, right? A multi-billion dollar global industry. And people don't appreciate that. Sometimes it's juggling who's scheduling what. Because we do almost all of our own planning and organization right. for the study abroad component. Right. I would agree. I mean, just even this latest trip, Casey and I are both trying to plan hotel accommodations. And it's like, hold it. Did you talk to someone? No, wait, I thought you were. Oh, no, I didn't. So that's probably one of the challenges. Opportunity. I don't know. We get to work together. Yeah. And it provides Doing a little... something we like. Yeah. Provides a little extra coverage in those times when it's like, oh, I can't quite get to class tonight. Can you cover? And gives us that balance as well. Mm-hmm. It gives us a little more balance when we're abroad, kind of keeping track of students, especially in the trips, locations where we're moving destinations and hopping between trains. One of us will be in the front. One of us will be in the back. Casey will do a count. I'll do a count. Hopefully they're the same. Uh, <laughs> so it does make it a little easier. Thinking about trains. Challenging instances. When we went to Munich, we took the train from the airport to the city. Yeah, we did. Two of the students didn't realize we were serious when we said... When the doors open at the next stop, get off, because the doors closed before they got off. We were able to signal to try and get turned around. It was visual. You could see me waving like they did, because as they're going, they're just... Now what? (laughs) (laughs) And it happened to be two students that year that didn't have a cell phone that would work in country. So that's something that's changed a lot since we first taught the courses, the wireless and cell phone and technology. But, you know... Forty minutes later, they did find their way back they to that. They had the presence of mind to get off at the next stop, cross the tracks, get back on, and come back to where we were. We didn't move. We waited. Yep. And not having cell phones when we went to Belgium. It must have been 2011. We took my daughter with us. I took all of my kids when they were 16 years old with my daughters. And it just happened that it was always to Belgium. Well, this time we... Took a day trip to Amsterdam. And no, we stayed in Amsterdam. Oh, we did. We landed That's went right, to Amsterdam to stay there. And we're wandering around. and Introducing him to the city that first day. And all of a sudden... We sent everybody to ATMs to get money because we'd just gotten in country. And it's like, hold it. Where's my daughter? She was only 16. I said to my wife, where is she? So we're going one direction. And I think somebody told me where they had seen her. And we went that way. And turns out... Casey and his wife and my daughter are going a different way looking for us. And I was just, 
you had like two students with you and I had the yeah. other 10 with me. Round and round and round. And yeah, so cell phones would have been helpful. But I mean, you think about it even seven, eight years ago, cell phone technology is vastly different. Well, that can be a challenge sometimes. And the lesson I took away with that is don't take my own kids with me. <laughs> the lesson of the 40-minute wait is like nobody else wants to be that kid next time. So it's like, lesson learned, the first 40 yeah, minutes we're oh, here. Yeah, oh, and it's something we tell definitely. classes now. We're serious when we say, get off the train, then get, get off, off the train. train. This is why you don't take too much luggage with you. <laughs> <laughs> we do tell them to pack light. I will admit that as I've gotten older, I tend to check a bag rather than carry it on. But Casey will get there. He just doesn't know it yet. What would a typical day be like while you're in country? Usually see everybody at breakfast. Yeah, it's kind of a standard. We, we, want, we want to see. We don't care if you eat, even though breakfast is probably included. But we got to see you at nine o'clock or whatever it is. So. And then usually we'll have half of the day planned program schedule. There's cases where it's a whole day situation, but usually we'll have half day things planned. So we'll do that, and then. They'll have a chunk of open time to explore things that they're particularly interested. We certainly make recommendations and suggestions, but we've found it's really valuable to have the free time for them to do things they want and do their own exploring. Oh, but I bet the free time is really good for you. It is. <laughs> it is. And it also gives us the flexibility to adjust our schedule in some cases. If we've had something planned outdoors and it's a really cruddy day and we know the next day is going to be better, we've been known to flip things around to make it work. The very first year, our flight was six hours late mm -hmm. leaving New York City, which then affected things we were going to do that first day in the country. And we just started flip-flopping things and we made it all work. But it was a lesson immediately build in that flexibility. I could imagine that by students taking this class, if they weren't interested in science or didn't know that much about it, that you see how it's applied and have a practical application that maybe they didn't experience in high school, that they might actually develop an interest in an area that they didn't know they had an interest in. I've spoken with people, some parents, but others, and they asked what I teach, and I say chemistry. Oh, my student will never have you for a class. Or I would have never had you for chemistry. They said, well, you might take the fermentation science course. What? Uh -huh, what? And it's really about, I've said many times, it's sort of enticing students into a course based on the topic. I usually actually say sucker them into a course because they think it's going to be about something. But it really is, give them that basic science, that appreciation, but really give them a chance to experience something different, something very eye-opening. And we've had kids actually go on and work in the industries, you know, being brewers and distillers. Yeah. So we always wrap up by asking, what's next? What's next? Well, I know come spring break, Casey's taking a bunch of kids to Paris. It's an honors course related to food science. And I'll be taking a dozen kids to Dublin for spring break. That course is not about drinking. You talk about challenges. This year's been a different challenge because Jeff's planning Dublin. I've been planning France for spring break, and then we're right, planning so Scotland then, in May. And so it does. And trying to it, keep things straight it was has hectic. been. It was, it was hectic. I made that mistake the first year I took students abroad. I planned another U.S. travel class in the same year. So mm -hmm. like Q3 was a travel, and then Q4 was 
I hear you. <laughs> I learned my lesson. <laughs> well, no. The lesson is you just have to keep practicing. Oh, yes. oh, oh, yeah. Thankfully, Jeff's done Dublin I've done Dublin several times. several times now, and I basically plan it. As soon as I get back after spring break this year, I'll have the next year planned already, or pretty close. And we've been to Scotland, so most of that was set. At least we knew what we wanted to do. It's just yeah. a matter of finalizing things. And we'll do the same thing. End of May, we'll come back and we'll start strategizing, okay, what's the I mean, location for May yeah, 20? Yeah. I mean, even before that, we've already talked a little bit about the location for May 20. Which is going to be? Well, we haven't decided yet. Maybe like, the Netherlands? It I, may be Munich. I love Amsterdam. and I love Munich as well. I haven't put on his radar that we could go to Cologne. Well, we could go to Cologne. Uh, decisions. And what is your class in Ireland? The class in Ireland, that's GLS 100. It's a global cities course. And so there's always some question as to, you know, is Dublin really a global city? Because there's some kind of fancy, fancy definition of what a global city is. And I'm not quite sure if Dublin actually fits, but I think it's a global enough city. It's cosmopolitan. It's got a lot of political problems, especially now with Brexit coming up. It's a fun course. We talk about culture of Ireland and Dublin and the history, and we spend a lot of time on the 1916 revolution and things like that. And so kids get a lot of information. I only meet one night a week, like most courses, and then we'll be gone for all of spring break. In fact, we'll, we're going to leave the Friday before spring break, and we'll be coming back midnight 01, Monday morning. Well, thank you. This has been fascinating. Thank you. You're like welcome. Class. Thank you. We've recorded this podcast a couple of weeks early, which is somewhat new to us because we're often recording these within a week of their release. But as we were completing editing on the podcast, we got an email from Casey who noted that perhaps some things can go wrong on trips that they had not yet experienced. So, Casey, would you like to tell us a little bit about what happened? Yeah, John. I led the spring break class to France, as I'd indicated at the end of the last podcast. And I recalled you asking about challenging or difficult situations that occur. And in our case, it reminded me that I probably needed to do this little addendum. Specifically, we were scheduled to leave Syracuse Friday afternoon, and we had all 13 students at the airport on time. We actually even boarded the plane Friday afternoon, and the pilot came on and made an announcement that during his walkthrough, he noticed a small leak. He wasn't sure what it was. They were bringing mechanics over to look at it. A couple minutes later, he comes back on and says, they're not sure. We need to deplane so that they can figure it out. And so everybody's off. Everybody gets in line to the ticket counter for fear of missing connections and rebooking. And lo and behold, they weren't sure what the problem was when they finally did find the leaking part. They didn't have a replacement, and it wouldn't come in until maybe 6 o'clock Friday night, in which case we would have missed our international flights. And so contacted our travel agent. She couldn't really do anything because it was all in airport control. I ended up working with a supervisor just by chance. He pulled me out of line to try and rebook 15 of us on a single ticket. And so as he was working with corporate, trying to map this out and come up with a plan, we ended up needing to split our group. 
to come up with options because there just weren't seats available leading into spring break, dealing with some weather issues that were happening, and the fact that the 737 MAX grounding had limited some of the airlines, not ours, but there just weren't seats available. And so I agreed to split the group. My wife would go with one part, I would go with another part. And when he came back with our new itinerary instead of a direct flight from Washington, D.C. to Paris, the first group of us was going to fly from Washington, D.C. to Chicago to Frankfurt and then to Paris. The second group was going to fly from Washington, D.C. to Zurich to Paris. And we'd get in a couple hours apart a day late, which would affect our train travel to Lyon because our first four days was going to be there. And so it's like, well, it's the best we can do. That's what we'll do. And so we stayed in a hotel Friday night as a group, got to the airport Saturday morning, and by about 9.30, 10 a.m. Saturday morning, they had completely canceled our flight because they still didn't have the right repair part. And they couldn't bus us to Washington, D.C. So the next thing we knew, they were going to bus us to New York City so we could have a direct flight from JFK, but they couldn't find busing to get us to JFK. And so then they rewarded us on a Sunday night flight from Washington, D.C. to Paris with the promise they would get us to Washington, D.C. Saturday night. So now we've spent all of Friday afternoon sitting in the airport. Now we're going to spend all day Saturday sitting in the airport. Some of the students got together with parents that were local. Some of the students hopped an Uber and ran to the mall to kill some time. But we finally got out of Syracuse on the fixed plane. Saturday night, about 8.30, got to Washington, D.C., about 10 p.m., got into a hotel there. The airline put us up. And then Sunday morning, students studied, did various things, but we all got to the airport Sunday afternoon and finally got on our flight to Paris. So we arrived in Paris Monday morning instead of Saturday morning. By Saturday afternoon, when I knew we were going to miss two days and that the things we had planned on Monday were not going to be possible, we just weren't going to make it, and that was a key reason for going to Lyon, I all of a sudden was in the mode of, I need to completely reconfigure the whole front end of my class. And so started working with International Ed and the person on the ground in Paris we have to try and get two additional nights of lodging in Paris, just cancel the whole Lyon part of it, try and recoup rail ticket expenses, cancel the hotel there, which did cost us two nights of lodging, but not all four, and then try and figure out what am I going to do in Paris with this group food-related in the two days now that I have. So it really wasn't until Wednesday afternoon that I finally started to feel comfortable and relaxed on this trip just because of all the upheaval. The crew at the Syracuse airport that was trying to help us, the person there, was outstanding. He was doing everything he possibly could to help the class. The students were really pretty good. They understood that there was not a lot we could do other than keep pushing along. Some were concerned, some were upset. There was certainly frustration and disappointment for all of us, especially as we had to cancel things we were planning to do. But it was a situation that you hope you never really encounter, but it's a case of you really have to be ready for almost anything. And as Jeff and I indicated before, you've got to be ready to be flexible. And this was really an extreme case of it because all of a sudden I'm rescheduling basically half of our overseas experience completely on the fly, largely with an internet connection through a cell phone. Flexibility is important. There are a lot of moving parts there. And if one of them stops moving, it affects all the others. Yeah. Overall, how did it work? Overall, it worked out really as best as it could under those situations. Once we got into France, everything went fine on the ground there. 
it actually worked out amazingly well that the extra two hotel nights were in the same hotel we were originally going to be in. And I discovered at least one activity in Paris as a substitute, a cheese tasting that worked out outstandingly for the students, and it was a great experience. So in the grand scheme of things, I think it all worked. We're disappointed to have missed a few things that we had originally planned, but I think the students still benefited from what happened. And the stress that I experienced didn't really negatively impact the class. Great. Well, thank you for the update. You're welcome. And we look forward to hearing more stories about more pleasant travel experiences in the future. Me too. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast service. To continue the conversation, join us on our Tea for Teaching Facebook page. You can find show notes, transcripts, and other materials on teaforteaching.com. Music by Michael Gary Brewer. Editing assistance provided by Kim Fisher, Chris Wallace, Kelly Knight, Joseph Andrew, Jacob Alveson, Brittany Jones, and Gabriella Perez. Thank you.